Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Northridge Church. I, uh, I also noticed that uh, we have gotten our greens and our browns out uh, for fall. Uh, we've got a lot of greens on and browns on. Like, we look like, you know, the trees outside. We've got all those colors going, harvest party and all that kind of stuff. So thank you for being here. Uh, so whether you're in the room here or some of you, uh, you're online and I can't see you, but you can see me, uh, we're thankful that you have engaged with us, that you've jumped in, that you've de- decided to take a risk on spending some time with a body of Christ, with a church uh, that God has put together here called Northridge. And so thank you for joining us and being a part of this. Um, we are glad that you have enjoyed uh, engaging with us already. So uh, if I were to show you this picture of a steak dinner, what does that do for you? All right, just kind of think about that. What does that do for you as you look at that? Or maybe you're not really a meat potatoes kind of person. You're more of a veggie skillet kind of person. So maybe this does it for you. Or maybe neither one of those are really exciting. Maybe you're more of a breakfast person. Uh, and you're kind of, uh, how many of you are, I'm just curious, how many of you are like breakfast at breakfast or lunch or dinner? Doesn't matter when, I want, uh, give me some breakfast. Okay, there's several of you in here. I'm with you, that's why my hand's up. I agree with you, all right? Um, now, th- this may, maybe made some of you hungry, like you're all of a sudden, you're like, stop. Like, now I'm really like, I didn't eat enough this morning or whatever, like, and now you're really hungry. Uh, maybe, let's see if that continues. I want to show you another kind of a meal, one in Southeast Asia called bat soup. How many of you get really hungry now on that one? Yeah, no. Okay, I've got a couple of thumbs down. Okay, we're good. So this is called bat soup. This is like a delicacy. Most people in Southeast Asia and some of the Pacific Rim Islands, they can't eat this because it's so expensive where they live. This is a delicacy type of meal. This is like an extravagant kind of thing. Does something different to us, doesn't it, when we see that? Because we're not from that part of the world. Now, let me, let me take it a different route. What happens to you when I show you this next picture of the beach in a warm place? How many of you go to a better place now all of a sudden? Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, and how, does it, how does it work out when I show you this next picture, which is kind of versus that? Uh, I'm just going to be honest, it's where we're headed, guys. Uh, This is Wisconsin, okay? You can be in denial as much as you want. It was 80 degrees this last week, I know, but just understand it's changing, right? At some point, it's going to shift. Now, here's why I started with those. Did you notice what happened to your thoughts when I showed you a picture? Your thoughts changed, didn't they? I could literally alter your thoughts, what was going on up here, by simply throwing a picture up there. I physically didn't do it. Kim did. Great job, Kim. But when you saw that picture, your thoughts engaged in a certain way. For example, when I showed you that food, how many of you were more cognizant of how hungry you are? 
Some of you did that. How many of you, I'm just curious, how many of you started planning where you're going to go for lunch already when I showed you those pictures? How many of you, yeah, Denny did, thank you. Our sound tech, he's like, I'm ready to eat. <laughs> Let's do this. How many of you actually changed where you're going to go for lunch now because I showed you that? I just caused probably a lot of fights after church today, didn't I? All right. Well, how many of you were already planning your next trip to a warm place when I showed you the beach? In your head. Some of you were, right? What happens in our head? We have a lot of thoughts in our head, don't we? So you probably already figured this out. We're continuing the sermon series that we've been in called Backstory today. And what we're doing today is we're going to dig into probably what is the most backstory area of your life that we can possibly pick on. Your thought life. What goes on in here. Think about it. Your thought life is the most private, the most hidden, the most unseen part of your life. Literally, it's quite possible that nobody else on planet earth knows everything about what goes on up here. In fact, let's be honest, probably likely that not anybody knows everything that goes on up here. It is a backstage area of life. It's a hidden, unseen part of life. Now, uh, they've done some studies on thought life. And uh, this is kind of a hard area to study, you know, thoughts. But they try, they've, they've done this for a long time. They've tried to measure how many thoughts we as humans have on any given day. Now, the problem was that they cannot measure in our brain when we're having a thought. But what they can measure, what they can actually tell based on your neurons and your brain activity and all that stuff, is they can tell when a thought ends. And so what they did is they took that fact and they know when a thought ends, another thought of some kind begins, even if it's, I'm not going to think about anything. It's a new thought. And so they started to do some studies on this, and they started measuring this, and this is what they've discovered. They discovered that as a human being, we have, on average, of course it's not going to be exact, but on average, anywhere from 6,000 to 6,200 thoughts per day. Now, if you divide that out, let's say you subtract six hours for sleeping, kind of unconscious time. Some of you are like, six hours? I'd use, I take ten. Okay, good for you. You're doing great. Uh, if you live in my world, six is like, we are awesome. I got six hours. This is amazing. And so let's subtract six hours. You're left with 18 hours. If you divide it out, that equals about 350 thoughts per hour or six different thoughts per minute. In other words, we have a lot of thoughts per day. A whole lot of thoughts. Would you imagine that our thought life controls a lot of this outside what happens here life. Oh, you better believe it does. And so today, I want to dig in and we're going to talk about this hidden part of our life, this secret, unseen part of our life that affects so much of our life and everybody else's life around us. And by the way, the fact that it's unseen means it's all the more important. Sometimes we neglect the unseen parts of our life, but when they're unseen, let me just tell you this, when they're unseen parts of our life, those are probably sometimes the most important parts of our life because they have huge impact on the visible parts. 
And so I want to take us to a story real quick in the Old Testament. Uh, if you've been to Northridge for any length of time, I've preached on this story, but it's been years ago now. Uh, but this story is about a prophet named Samuel. And uh, God goes to Samuel and he asks Samuel to anoint with oil, which means that might sound weird, but this was their way of choosing the next king of the nation of Israel. And so God goes to Samuel and he says, Samuel, I want to go to this specific family in Israel and you're going to anoint one of this, these family members, one of the sons, to be the next king of Israel. Now the problem is God did not tell Samuel which family member, which son is going to be the next king. He just said, go to the family and you're going to anoint the next king of Israel. And so Samuel just has to go kind of, you know, shooting in the dark, so to speak. He goes, he, doesn't, he knows it's this family, but he doesn't know which son is going to be king. And so Samuel gets there, and he meets the father and all his stuff, and so the father says, wow, one of my sons? Isn't that cool? Like, he just, this prophet of God shows up and says, hey, guess what? One of your sons are going to be the next king of Israel. Oh, cool. All right, this is, like, this is a big day. And so the, the father gathers all of his sons together to meet Samuel all at one time, except for one. He leaves his youngest son out in the pasture tending the flocks of sheep. His name is David. Now, Samuel gets there, so the father brings in all the sons, and Samuel's kind of surveying the situation. He's looking at all the sons, he's meeting all the sons, right? Handshakes, knucks, I don't know what they did back then, right? But they're greeting each other, and he's kind of getting to know them. And then this is what happens in that moment. It's recorded, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 6. When they arrived, talking about this guy's sons and the family, when the sons arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab, who's one of the sons, obviously, and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. Translation. Samuel looked at Eliab and he's like, whoa, that guy's awesome. That guy works out. He's in CrossFit for sure. Like, he is a beast. Look at that guy. He can wield a sword. He can wear armor. That crown would fit on his head pretty well. Man, this Eliab, he is impressive. He's looking around at the other sons. He's like, eh, okay. Yeah, you're okay. Ooh, who's that guy? Eliab? Yeah, that guy's awesome. I'd follow him. Now, notice something interesting. Samuel doesn't say this out loud. Did you notice that? Samuel didn't say this. It's in quotes in your Bible. If you look in your Bible, and if we, if we could see this, it says in quotes, surely this is the Lord's anointed, is what it says in Scripture. But what did it say right before that? He looked, took one look at Eliab and he thought that. He didn't say this out loud. The sons don't know this. The father doesn't know this. The only person in this space that knows that he had that thought is Samuel. But there's one other one that knows. God knows. God knew his thoughts. And this is what God says to Samuel, again, in his thought life. He's speaking to his mind, to his heart. Listen to what God says. In the very next verse. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height. It doesn't matter how much he goes to CrossFit, in other words. In this case, for I have rejected him. 
The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. In other words, we get two really important pieces from this part of the story. What do we get? Number one, God knows everything that goes on in your head. Uh Uh-oh, talk about Halloween scary. (laughs) God knows every single one of your thoughts that you've ever had, that you're having now, and that you will have in the future. God knows every one of your thoughts. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're feeling. He knows everything that's going on in here. And he knew when Samuel had this thought about Eliab. He didn't have to say it out loud. God knew the intention of his head, which also informed his heart, which means God had to address it. Our thought life may be private to us and to other people, but it's not private when it comes to God. He knows. The second thing that we see is, what did God say about himself? He tells us something about himself to Samuel. What does he say? God says, I don't see things the way that you humans see things. I don't look at things the same way. I see inside you. I see through you. I see the heart things. I see the mind things. I can hear your thoughts. How many of you would love our thoughts to be typed out and played out for everybody to see all the time? I see a lot of head shaking. They're like, oh, no, no, Mm-mm. no, thank you. God, but that for God, that's, you might as well text him what you're thinking about because he knows that easily and even easier. The truth is God knows your thoughts and he does not see the same things that you see. And there's this interesting principle of God, and this is, this is kind of actually, believe it or not, I'm already at the crux of this point, because th- if we don't get this, then it's going to be hard to really understand how important it is to get this right. There's a principle of God, and he talks about this all through his word. I'm about to prove it here in a moment. But God talks about this principle all the time, that God cares desperately and deeply for the unseen, hidden, private, secret things in your life. Probably even more, at least as much, as anything else that's seen. God desperately wants to reward you, to purify you to redeem you in every area of your life, including and especially in your mind, your thought life. Let me prove this to you. So I want to take you to another context, this time in the New Testament. So Jesus is preaching a sermon. He's on the side of a mountain, huge crowd of people, and he's giving a sermon. All right, He's preaching. And in the midst of this sermon, right in the middle of it, Jesus hits this whole section. It's not one or two verses. Sometimes Jesus like, you know, makes a quick statement that's really powerful. It sinks in. But in this case, Jesus is making a whole list of statements. He, he's, he spends a whole section on this, which tells us something. It tells us how important this is. He did not make one point. He makes three points at the same time in this one section of his sermon. Three major points. I want to read them for you. He's talking about the fact that God really cares and is passionate about what you do in private. What you do in your thought life, what you do in your heart life, what you do behind closed doors matters a lot to God. 
Let me read what Jesus said. So again, he's in the middle of this sermon, and this is what he says. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 3 through 4, Jesus says, but when you give to someone in need, when you're generous, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. In other words, what God is saying is, being generous, he doesn't care if anybody else knows about whether or not you're being generous. He doesn't want you to promote yourself and be like, look at how much I gave. Isn't this awesome? How many of you people see a lot of pictures and articles on people with massive checks and they say, we gave $10,000 to such and such. I see this fairly often, don't you? I've been involved in those things. We were, our family was specifically involved in a cancer thing for the American Family Children's Hospital right here just a few weeks ago. I shared that actually on a Sunday, a couple Sundays ago. And we had a big thing where we presented the check from the soccer you know, club and the high school soccer teams and all that stuff, and we had this big check. I'm not saying that that's necessarily bad, but it doesn't necessarily jive with who God wants us to be. He wants us to be generous, but he wants us to get reward for being generous, not because everybody else knows, but because he knows what is done in secret. Then Jesus goes on. He doesn't stop there. He talks about generosity in private, but then he talks about something else. Matthew chapter 6, verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, to God, who is unseen. Then your Father, God, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. In other words, again, if you're going to pray, you don't have to always pray out loud and boisterous and, and try to figure out all your words and verbiage and all that, and get all that stuff right. That's not what... That's not what God desires for us. Now, sometimes do we have to pray out loud? We pray out loud on Sunday all the time. I pray out loud for people with, you know, maybe holding my hand on their shoulder. I, pray, I do that all the time. That's not what God is talking about. He's talking about when we pray boisterously to promote and show off ourselves or to try to get God's attention. Have you ever prayed like out loud or louder because you were hoping God would actually hear you that time? Sometimes I've done that. I'll be honest. Sometimes I have. Because it feels like maybe God's going to hear it better. He can hear your prayer if you're quiet and saying nothing and you're just praying through your mind or if you're speaking out loud. Sometimes for me, I, I, in fact, I say almost all my prayers out loud. That's not for God's benefit. That's for mine to make sure I'm being honest. But God says, no, we need to do this. Now, he takes one more step and he gives us a third point. And he starts talking about fasting. You guys know what fasting is, right? Fasting is very simply giving up food or giving up something valuable in order to take that same time, space, energy and focus it on God. A lot of people, by the way, grew up with traditions where, you know, you fast during a certain time, usually Lent, you know, that 40 days leading up to Easter. But a lot of people, they just give something up, but they don't realize that fasting is not just about giving something up. It's giving something up in order to replace that, whatever you gave up, with God. That's the point of fasting. And so Jesus in this moment, in this sermon, he's talking about fasting and he says, you know, some people when they fast, they, they make themselves look terrible on purpose because they want everybody to know I'm fasting. Oh man, I would love to eat that steak right now. It looks so good, but I'm fasting. 
because I'm awesome and holy. And God's going to bring greater blessing to me than to you. I'm fasting. So I'm going to look my, make myself look just gaunt and crazy and awful. I'm not going to take care of myself because I want everybody to know I'm fasting for God. Good for you. Jesus has something to say about that. He says this, But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. <laughs> In other words, don't look more disheveled. Look better than you normally do. Hide it. Cover it up. We don't want... God says, don't let everybody know that you're fasting. This is not for them. This is for you and I, God says. Then no one will notice that you are fasting except... Who knows what you do in private. And in then your father who sees everything will reward you. Do you see this pattern that Jesus is talking about? Jesus is making it really clear that God wants to honor what you do in life. But he wants to honor and reward and bless and bring praise and bring honor and glory to you more for what you do when nobody else knows what you're doing. God wants you to get this right. He wants you to get this right. God cares about your private, unseen, backstage areas of life more than maybe even you realize he does. He knows that getting this right, getting this right, will have bearing on everything else. He wants to reward what you do in private. So let me try to illustrate this. So my wife, Laura, um, tells me this story about when she was uh, a girl in, growing up in her family. So her family gave uh, her, and she has three other sisters, so there were four daughters in the house. When you remember her father, just pray for her, because she had four girls in the home. And I think he's still dealing with the craziness of that. I'm just kidding. They're, they're awesome. I love, I love my sisters-in-law. But seriously, they grew up, and they would give uh, all their daughters an allowance every week or every month, I don't know, and, uh, and whatever the amount was, and they would give their allowance. Now, Laura, one of the things that I love about my wife, Laura, seriously, is that she is extremely sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Like, she feels conviction really, really strongly. Sometimes too much. She lives with a little bit of guilt sometimes. But, but she feels God's conviction very, very strongly. And that's one of a bazillion things that I love about my wife. She feels that. And so at one, one time, I don't know when it was, after she had gotten her allowance, she was in church, and she felt this strong prompting, this conviction of some kind from God that she should not give 10% of her allowance. So their family taught the biblical principle of giving the first 10% of what you earn to God first. And they knew that if they didn't do that, that's stealing from God. 10% is already God's. And then 90% is what you live on. And so they'd already been taught that. And so Laura knew she needed to give 10% of her allowance. But in this particular day, on this particular Sunday, she felt convicted that God wanted her to give all of her allowance, 100% of it. Now, as a young girl, that's, as you can imagine, that's kind of like, that's hard. I mean, she can get gum or shoes or whatever she was going to buy. I don't know what she was into at that point, right? But, but that's a big deal to give all of her allowance away. 
But she felt like she did, and so she, she gave it away. She, she turned it all into the church that day. Now, here's what's really cool. Somehow, to this day, I don't think she knows how, but somehow her dad found out. Somehow he found out that she had given all of her allowance to God. And so he pulled Laura aside one day, uh, later, maybe later that day, I don't know, and, and he said, Honey, I, I heard or I found out that you gave all of your allowance to God. And I want you to know how proud I am of you for doing that. Nobody else knew. And so you know what he did? He said, so for this time, I want to actually give you your whole allowance again to show you that what you do in private is really, really important when nobody else knows. Now, her dad also made it really clear, this is not going to happen every time. <laughs> that's, an, that's an important distinction. But he also made it really clear, I know, because I've heard my wife tell this story many, many times, it made a huge impression and impact on her. Her dad made it clear, honey, I want you to know that what you do in private matters even more than what you do in public. Because what you do in public flows out of what you do here and what you're doing here. And her dad made this very, very clear statement that what you do in private, uh, your God, God wants to reward you for that. And that's exactly what God wants to do for you. It's possible, I've said this a few times before, it's possible that the only thing holding you back from more of God's blessings is you getting serious about your private life and making sure that that's surrendered to Christ. Some of us in here, you've decided that as long as you don't act on your thoughts, you're good. I'm here to tell you that you've been lied to by somebody. Your thought life, if it's in here, and you're willing to play with whatever those thoughts are, it's still sin. I'm just here to, I, I don't know if you've been taught differently. There are a lot of churches that would teach this differently. I'm here to, I could quote some other verses, right? Jesus says very clearly, if you lust after somebody here, but you don't act on it, it's still sin. Now, that doesn't mean when the thought comes in, what do you, the, the key is what you do with it. We're going to have sinful thoughts that enter our brain. I have sinful thoughts that enter my mind. Uh, here's what the key is. What do you do with them when they're there? Do you get them out of the box and play around with them? Right? Or do you set them aside, burn them, kick them to the curb, they're gone? Those are two very different things. And so God wants to honor our thought life. And so the question I have for you today is very simply this. How is your thought life these days? Seriously, how is it? Are you dwelling on negative thoughts most of the time? Mental health is a humongous problem right now. It always has been, but it has gotten much worse. Do you tend to dwell on negative thoughts more often than not? Do you tend, maybe you're here, and maybe do you tend to dwell on lustful thoughts more often than not? 
Do you enjoy fantasizing about something or someone all the time? Be honest with yourself. You're the only one that knows. <laughs> you and God. Do you tend to have revengeful and hateful thoughts toward people all the time? See, what we do in our mind matters, doesn't it? And I don't know about you, but it feels like the last two years, Satan has been winning the battle in our minds, at least. Doesn't it feel that way? Based on what I see and how I'm interacting and online and all the different things, uh, let's be honest, uh, I, I think that what happened with Will Smith and all that stuff last year, that was just, I, I think we were so shocked from a, a person who's normally measured, that was clear that he was struggling in his mind with something because something like that should not quite have set him off in such a way, in such a violent way. But it did. We all know that that began here, right? Somehow. We don't know what was going on. Our mind controls our emotions and our moods, which controls our actions and our words. Doesn't it? What happens here controls what happens here. And what happens here controls what happens here and what happens here. Flow, flow, flow. I believe there is a scripture, right, that says everything flows from the inside out. It says it actually several times in here. Getting this and this right controls everything else. The truth is, God wants to transform this, and he wants to transform this. He wants to change it. He wants to purify it. He wants to redeem it so that this and this flows into all of this. Now, let me ask you this question. If God were going to transform you, if God was going to change you, if God was going to redeem you and your life, if he wanted to release the ultimate power in and through your life, if God wanted to do that, if he wanted to do that, by the way, the answer to that is, yes, he does want to do that. It's not a question. He wants to release that. He wants to transform you. The question is, where would he start? Where would God start if he wanted to transform your life? Well, he tells us. In Scripture, the Apostle Paul tells us, Romans 12, 2. Want me to read it? You guys already know this Scripture quite well because I bring it up a lot. It says this, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by doing what? What does it say there? Changing the way you think. He's going to start by changing the way you think, by changing your thoughts. Then, or as a result of God transforming this, which will transform this, which will transform this, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I don't know about you, but if I'm going to follow somebody's will, I want it to be God's, and I want it to be good, and I want it to be pleasing, and I want it to be perfect. That's, probably, that's a fairly high standard. How many things in your life would you say are good and pleasing and perfect? Not many. God's will for you is. 
And the way to experience that is to allow God to transform your thought life. Because what we do, think about this. Every action you take, every word you speak has to start where? Where does it have to start? You can't, you literally can't do anything. Everything I've done this morning from this stage, everything I've done all morning, when I'm moving my feet, when I'm shaking my hands, I know I look like a crazy rag doll all the time for you guys, right? When I'm doing this, when I'm saying these words, when I'm making the, the movements with my face, all of those things, where are all of those things originating from? This keeps me alive. Boom, 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 boom. It keeps the blood going, but it's not the control center. The control center is here. This is what logically tells my heart to keep going. This is what tells my, my fingers to do what they're doing. When I want to point to my head, which I've done about 12,000 times already this morning, my brain is telling me how to do that. Here he goes again. He's going to point to his head. Okay, lift the arms, right? My brain's probably tired on Sunday morning. It's probably why I have to sit and watch football for a few hours and be like, ugh. My brain has to shut down. It's like, please shut it down for a little bit. Our thought life needs to be transformed because everything you do starts, it originates with your brain, with a thought of some kind, whether it's good, bad, ugly, or otherwise. If we were to let God transform our lives, what could happen? Think, no, seriously, think about it for a minute. What could happen if God, if we allowed God to transform this? What could happen? How many affairs could have been avoided? Seriously. It starts here. How many addictions could have been pushed away? never even started if the battle was already won there? How many relationships could either be restored or didn't have to be restored because God won up here? How many wars could have been avoided like the one that we're seeing right now? if this was allowed for God to transform it. Can you start picturing a world that looks different? I can. Even though I have never experienced it, I can at least visualize the possibility. That is the reality that God wants to give to you. He wants to give you peace, not just here, but here, here, and around you. But it has to start here. Because if there's no peace here, this is the origin. This is where it begins and it flows from here. You can't try to get peace here. How many of you try to, I know I do this, how many of you try to control peace in your home by making things quiet or shutting it down or giving your kids screens or whatever the case is? What does that do? It buys you momentary what you think is peace. Right? But then it explodes later. As soon as the screen goes away, what happens? 
In fact, I don't know if you've noticed this, but after screen time, it's worse. Have you noticed that? Oh, it's worse. It's way worse. Like the screen time bought you 30 minutes and that was awesome. But now you've got two hours of complete chaos now after that. Have you noticed that? I've, I've noticed that with our three kids. God wants to give you peace up here. In fact, he says this in Isaiah. I love what the prophet Isaiah says. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. He says, you will keep in perfect peace. He's talking about God. God, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you. All whose thoughts are fixed on you. Trust in the Lord always. For the Lord God is the eternal rock. I love that last phrase. God is the eternal rock rock. He's your stability. He's your anchor. He's your foundation. He's everything for you. So there's this teacher that did a classroom experiment one time, and she wanted to test how much the thought life controlled what students would do. And so she had prepared this test. I don't know exactly how she did it, but she, she had kind of determined ahead of time that this one half of the classroom, for whatever reason, I don't know how she determined this, but this one half of the classroom was going to be given this test. And I think she did this test maybe orally, I'm not sure. But she gave them this test, and they, they had these jumbled words, and there was a specific word that she wanted them to try to make out of these you know, letters and different things. And then she gave this other half of the classroom a similar test, but in this, she gave them the wrong letters so that they could not complete the task. All right? Some of you are like, that is just evil. Well, sometimes good teachers have to border on the, the crazy evil side, right? And so she did this to kind of make a point. But they went through this thing, and, and every time, of course, when they were doing, going through this exercise, this side of the room was getting the answers right, and this side of the room, the people over here, they could never seem to find the answer. They could never get the right, you know, right, the right answer. And they kept going, they kept going back and forth. And it was clear that after a while, these people were eager and they were raising their hand and they're jumping in and they're doing all the thing. And they're, they're excited, 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 excited. They're, they're animated, their face lit up. And over on this side, they were like downcast. They, know, they stopped looking at the teacher. They stopped raising their hand. They stopped answering the questions. They just, they basically shut down. And so then the teacher let them in on the secret. She said, so this is what I did. And then this side of the room is like, oh. And she said, then she started asking them, and she said, what were some of your thoughts while we were doing that? And the people over here, like they were, they were gaining confidence, and they were like, oh, well, I, I answered for the first time. I don't usually answer, and I do this. And my thoughts were like, man, I can do this. And, and, and then the other side, though, they said, we just started to shut down. I started to get angry. I started to get mad. I started to get frustrated with the other, the other people on the other side of the classroom. I got, I got angry at them, jealous of them. Their thoughts began to betray them. The question I have for you is, are your thoughts betraying who God wants you to be? Are you serving God out here but you're a slave in here. God wants to impact and influence you here so that it will impact you here 
so that it will impact you and everybody else here. The question is, are you willing to allow God into the battle here so that you can win all the other battles? If you were here last week, you heard me say, I talked about our home life. Here's where I believe, honestly, I, I honestly believe this. I believe the battles for our faith, for our families, for our relationships is won or lost in the two places that we've talked about last week and this week, in your home and in your thought life. I think those are the two battles. If you're losing those two battles, if you've, allowed, if you've surrendered those battles to Satan or to evil or to just whatever's going to happen, I believe that you're going to lose the other battles too. Because I believe that those are foundational. And I'm not saying your home life should be perfect. If you think I have a perfect home life, just spend some time talking to my wife. She'll tell you the truth. I'm not saying that your home life should be perfect. If you're looking for a perfect home life, you're also, your thoughts are already betraying you. I'm talking about a home life that is centered on Christ faithfully, consistently. And yes, it's going to present problems. Absolutely. Because when you butt up against Satan, you better believe Satan's coming after you. But you know what happens when Satan comes after you? If you're centered on Christ, Christ is with you. Christ is beside you. The Holy Spirit is with you. You've got God's power. And what God's word says all through from cover to cover is God wins. So if you've got God with you on your side, you're going to win because God is with you. Are you willing to win the battle in home? And are you willing to win the battle in your mind so that we can win all the other battles? My hope and prayer is that we are a church, a group of people that determine to win the battles, the unseen hidden battles in our life so that we can win the other battles. That's what God invites us to. And... Good news, when you do that, when you surrender this and this, God's going to reward you. He's going to give you your whole allowance back. God wants to bless you. He's just waiting for you to get serious enough about him so that the floodgates can open. Will you allow it? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it is so good to be in your house. It is so good to be in the Father's house today. God, you desire so greatly to connect with us, to love on us, to bless us, and as we just talked about, God, to reward us for, for winning in the unseen private areas of our life. God, you desire to see us purified, to redeem us in our thoughts, in our hearts, in the things that nobody else knows. And God, maybe there are people here that they deal with depression on a regular basis. 
God, I pray that you would help them to realize and to see maybe this is the day that the key is unlocked, that they realize that their mind is controlling them. Their mind, their chemical balance in their brain is telling them that they're worthless, that life has no meaning, that nobody cares if they were to disappear from this earth, that nobody would care. That is a lie. Help them see that that is a lie. Right now, Jesus, I pray that you would help them realize that they're thought life has betrayed them. It's not that they have no value. It's that their thoughts make them believe that they don't. Help them to see that they do. God, maybe there are people who are chained down by lustful thoughts. They're on the verge of an affair right now, God. There may be a few in here, in this room. God, I pray against that lust and those thoughts that are betraying them. You promise this pleasure experience and then after that, they are let down and they are destroyed, God. You are the, you know that Satan wants to destroy us. God, I pray that you would help us to win the battle in our minds so that we realize the lies that Satan is telling us so that we can defeat him before it ever comes to any kind of action. God, defeat addictions and affairs, and lustful thoughts, and revenge, and hateful things before they ever happen by winning the battle in our minds, God. You care about the quiet, unseen things, and you call us to purify them and redeem them. Help us to surrender them to you. I pray this, and I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.